1: Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And you're not going to believe this, John. It goes against everything the National Football League stands for with its integrity as it pertains to gambling and whatnot. <laughs> But two Dallas Cowboys players have engaged in a wager over on-field performance. Uh, Quarterback Dak Prescott bet defensive end DeMarcus Lawrence prior to their Week 15 game against the Giants that the number of offensive touchdowns scored the rest of the season would exceed the number of defensive takeaways. Uh, Terms of the bet were not disclosed publicly. I would have thought the offense was a heavy favorite, but the defense leads four to two after one week. Uh, John, how do you handicap this? Uh, and any surprise, the so-called no fun league hasn't already fined both players for this illicit wagering activity. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, yeah, I had not heard about this bet. It's uh, kind of interesting. Um, I noticed that Lawrence agrees to this bet just before they play the rudderless Giants, so <laughs> takeaways figure to do well. Uh, but it does feel as if he's shorting his own offense, isn't he? I mean, <laughs> Dallas has scored at least 27 points nine times this season and any three touchdown day for the offense usually will give them the advantage uh, unless you're playing somebody like the Giants so uh, I, I still like the uh, the Prescott side um, he's going to get more but uh, so the NFL probably comes down to the the two players not saying you know it was 25 grand or whatever that would be uh, <laughs> right. bro, that would look a little weird it, it would that would get weird look weird feel weird that would be a problem but I think they can shake this off because uh, even though I, I really do think he's shorting uh, the offense uh, in theory you're you're encouraging each other you know i want we want to get more takeaways you want to get more touchdowns everybody wants to do more so it's all good they're certainly trying to succeed and so i think the nfl are going to shake this one off
1: yeah. So yeah, my my instinct that Dak was getting the better side of the bet, you know, assuming he wasn't getting minus one fifty odds or something. I, you know, I don't know about that. That would but, be a problem too. Right. Right. Then he's really in trouble now. Because, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, if if it's just an even stakes bet, then uh, going into last week, you would think the offense has to be the favorite. Prior to last week, Dallas had thirty seven offensive touchdowns this year and twenty seven defensive yeah. takeaways. Um, but you know now. It's close now. The offense has to make up a, a two-tally deficit. I uh, I crunched some numbers based on uh you know the per game averages so far, and uh, the defense is now a very slight favorite by like zero point two takeaways slash touchdowns. I guess I guess a push is uh is in play. Um, but uh you know this reminds me, uh you and I never did think of any terms for a side bet on the Texans Jaguars game last week, which um I think not making a side bet with you on that goes down as Uh, my biggest win of this entire NFL betting season
0: well I used it for my $25 free bet so uh, uh, that's that's a reward enough I don't need anything from you
1: (laughs) okay so you came out ahead and I came out neutral and so we'll call that a win-win I guess (laughs) all right thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 174 of Gamble On If you missed any of our previous 173 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Word is that you can now rate podcasts on Spotify in addition to on Apple Podcasts. So check your app and uh, give us the maximum number of stars allowable. It's the least you can do for us in this holiday season.
0: Yeah, that's the equivalent of a tip, I guess, so we'll look yeah. at it that way, you know, for your, your doorman or your uh, your dry cleaner or whatever. So right. um, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by our new colleague, Jeremy Ballin. He's an award-winning horse racing journalist who now writes for U.S. Bets, Sports Handle, COBets.com and our other sites. We're going to ask Jeremy about the Medina Spirit Tragedy, the Horse Racing Safety and Integrity Act, his new Ask a Bookmaker series, and more. But first, it's been a thankfully slightly less busy week in the world of gambling other than Ohio's last-minute governor signing the sports betting law. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
1: November numbers are in from several of the biggest sports betting and online gaming states, and they're huge, especially in the revenue department. Uh, We start with New Jersey, which announced a few hours after we recorded last week's podcast, the second largest sports betting handle month ever, $1.258 billion, just shy of October's record $1.303 billion. But thanks to bettors doing poorly and the books keeping nearly a 10% hold, revenue was a record $114.8 million, $30 million more than the month before. Uh, That was almost as much as the New Jersey online casinos won in November, which was $118 million. Meanwhile, in Pennsylvania, the pattern was similar. The second highest handle ever, $761.6 million, and record taxable sports betting revenue of $63.7 million, thanks to an 11.2% hold. In Michigan, a new state handle record was set with November's $473.8 million, topping October's $463.3 million, and with a hold of 11.4%, revenue nearly doubled the state's previous record. Uh, One other state worth noting, Connecticut had its first full month to report with sports betting handle of about $132 million and revenue of $12.6 million, not quite as much as the iCasino revenue of $13.9 million. John, thoughts on New Jersey breaking $1 billion for the third straight month or on any other November numbers?
0: Yeah, I mean the sports betting margins are amazing in a couple of these states. Uh, in New Jersey, yeah, not only up from eighty-four million to one hundred fourteen million, but that's about thirty million more than the state record for any month in any state. I mean, a huge number. And yeah. you know, now here's the thing, and I am not real optimistic about this, but I think we want handle to go down in each of these states in December, right? I, I would think that would mean that betters who took a beating in November have adjusted their bankroll levels accordingly, aren't throwing good money after bad. Yeah, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Uh, right. And the other, the other takeaway, I think, is that um, it's remarkable that sports betting is right up there with online casino in a couple of states, but that's an anomaly. I don't, I don't think uh, not only will that not happen again in the next month or two, I think in general, it, it's looking like online casino is maybe not always, but pretty much always going to outpace uh, uh, online sports betting.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that, that this is a a rarity that it'll be this close between the two. I was a little bit surprised by how high the handle was. Um, I thought with only four weekends instead of the five we had in October and with betters doing poorly in November and therefore having smaller betting bankrolls as the month went on and potentially tightening up a little, um, basically what you're saying could happen in December. I thought it was going to start to happen in November. I figured handle would be back down around September levels, you know, over a billion in New Jersey, but not by much. Um, So I'm trying to figure out why people bet basically just as much in November as they did in October with one fewer day in the month and and down a whole weekend. Could it be that Thanksgiving football is that huge is is equivalent to a fifth weekend? Maybe. Um, Or is there just sort of a momentum to the football season? Like a a lot of people dip a toe in September and gradually ramp up Um, or, or maybe it's the other sports, maybe a full month of nba in november versus half a month in october plus college hoops you know maybe it's not just all about football i'm not sure but whatever the reason uh the handle was a a good bit higher in every state than i anticipated Uh, but the hold percentage was exactly what we expected with reports coming in every sunday and monday in november of the books cleaning up
0: yeah and and kind of all the above what you say i I think uh is the best way to look at it i'm I'm kind of a I'm kind of thinking that football though, that part of it, you know, I think there are a decent number of bettors who really only bet on football. So they've got September, October, and November. Now, December is pretty much blank with college football, except for bowl games at the end of the end of the month. So, right. yeah, I'm thinking that if, if they're really into it every Saturday and Sunday for, you know, 13 weeks, that as they get past the midpoint of that, you know, they may be tempted to ramp up. And again, that's okay if they're going to then dial it back, you know, for, for six or eight months. That's not, a, not really a big deal, even if they spend a little more than you my thing. Um, So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think that's part of it. And uh, I'm definitely going to be interested in see what the December numbers are.
1: Yeah. And I'll just uh, throw in also here a a note on Connecticut um, that they included online casino handle in their report, which Mm. is a strange statistic to look at. (laughs) I mean, like I can sit there playing online blackjack for say five bucks a hand, have a hundred dollars loaded into my account, play for half an hour, finish down $10 or something and have contributed like a thousand dollars in handle, you know, people debate how much handle matters with sports betting and, and whether revenue and tax revenue should really be the real measures. But, you know, with casino, there is no debate. Handle is not important, but there it was in the Connecticut report. And it was like six or seven times as high as sports betting handle for the month for whatever that's worth.
0: I think that's the, I I haven't seen, we'll we'll ask our colleague Chris Altruda, but I don't think we've seen that in any other state.
1: Yeah, uh, if you're listening Chris, uh, let let us know and if you're not <laughs> listening uh, then we'll uh, we'll ping you with a with a question cuz yeah, that was the first time I had seen online casino handle listed. All right, so moving on, our first story partially featured New Jersey. Our second story is fully focused on the Garden State and on a wild and long day in the state legislature in Trenton that has some ramifications for the gambling industry. It was Monday, the final voting session of 2021, and it started with a contentious scene outside the statehouse with Republican lawmakers refusing to wear masks and Democrat lawmakers refusing to let them in unmasked. Eventually, with some participating virtually, the Senate and Assembly approved a major casino tax break bill, and Governor Phil Murphy signed off on it a A couple of days later and horse racing operators got approval at, at least in the assembly for their full 20 million dollar purse supplement after five million dollars of it had been held up uh, this all ended at twelve thirteen a.m tuesday and you watched pretty much all of it i believe john so uh provide whatever color you like and how important are these two decisions from the legislature for the horsemen and for the atlantic city casinos
0: yeah, I mean, I, I've seen some doozies in uh, the Trenton Statehouse over the years, and this was one of them. Um, <laughs> one thing nobody wants to talk about, and I kind of understand why, but it's not even a decade ago that an, an elderly line of the state Senate collapsed and died in the State House just before midnight uh, as the final of more than 100 votes neared. It was crazy. You know, I was so naive that I believed or hoped or somehow that, you know, never again would they pack this uh, amount of, you know, laws or bills uh, into one, one marathon session for elderly and, and you know, otherwise unhealthy, mostly male legislators. I mean, it it makes no sense. And after a tragedy, you would think it would change. And of course, I was wrong. So the Senate at midday approved the tax break, a minimum 21 out of 40 votes in favor, no doubt, after some good old fashioned backroom deals and maybe Zoom calls replaced smoke filled rooms, I guess. But <laughs> that session ended about two hours plus. So it was the assembly that proved the adage about how you don't want to see how sausages or laws are made. Oh, my God. Nearly every bill provokes some inane commentary, even on ones that soon received unanimous support. Then apparently the majority may or may not have had members leave in mid-session, yet somehow kept voting in person magically while well, they may or may not have remained in the state house as required. <laughs> and that's another plus. Uh, now, whether by design or by luck, the casino tax break bill didn't come up for vote until near midnight when the non sequiturs and irrelevant anecdotes phase had ended. So it passed with less opposition than in the Senate. And meanwhile, Murphy couldn't put ink to pen. And I think they still do that with bills uh, soon enough on this one. Big boost for casino bottom lines is they will now pay about one third less in property taxes than previously projected. Uh, lastly, the horse racing uh, supplement saga was weird because the assembly passed at 76 nothing, but it hasn't even gotten out of committee yet in the state Senate. Now, usually the bills aren't quite that far out of sync. So the insider sentiment is that within the next month or so, the missing $5 million piece will pass, but it's liable to get sort of drowned by other issues. And the horsemen have learned over the years to just be patient. They get what they need. They just don't, they aren't a priority like the casinos
1: are. Right. Um, so I'll focus on the, the casino bill. Um, and uh, I guess it's uh, outgoing uh, Senate President Stephen Sweeney, is that yes. uh, what he is? So he yeah. had made the claim uh, that up to four of the nine casinos could go out of business if they didn't get this tax break. That felt like an exaggeration designed to scare people into voting for it. Um, I, in your article, you cited a former mayor saying he knew of one casino in that sort of jeopardy. Then. That- mm number sounds more realistic to me than four, uh, especially you know thanks to online gaming, the Atlantic City casinos didn't come out of the pandemic in as bad a financial state as properties in other parts of the country did. And I just can't imagine that four out of nine are teetering on the brink of closing. Um, but you know, I'm sure Sweeney knows that people remember the bad shape Atlantic City was in a little less than a decade ago when four casinos closed in quick succession, and then a fifth followed a couple years later. I think he was basically fear mongering by throwing that big number out there. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm always dubious of where corporate tax breaks go. You know, uh, if if the casino is saving money that allows it to stay in business and then not have to cut corners in certain places. Great. But all too often, that saved money ends up uh, popping up in some executive's bonus or uh, his salary increase or whatever. I, you know, it can't be a bad thing for the industry to have the pilot program continue. That's you know, it's good that this was passed. I'm a little wary of uh, just how the uh, the savings are going to be spent.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's improbable that three or four casinos could close, but. As you say, in 2014, Ford did close. Atlantic County really was the worst county in the United States for foreclosures for, you know, six months to a year. Um, Another casino closed in early 2016. The region really was devastated. More than 10,000 people did lose their jobs. That has secondary impact. I mean, all of that actually happened. So I guess I'm thinking of poker here. You know, you think I'm bluffing? I mean, eh, I don't know. I mean, literally, there were some Republicans in a committee uh, this month that, you know, when they heard that, they they were taken aback. They, yeah, they, I don't know if they quite believed it, but they're thinking, oh, crap, what if it's true? And then Swain even said, I don't want to be right here. I don't want to come back and say, I told you so. (laughs) And it just put the fear of God in everybody. Now, barely, because they only got 21 votes in the Senate. (laughs) But but, uh, Sweeney carried the casinos across the finish line as he uh, makes a not so triumphant exit.
1: (laughs) There you go. All right. Um, Our third story actually broke last week, but we weren't able to squeeze it into the podcast. So we'll address it now. Uh, Super Bowl 58 in 2024, will be held at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Uh, Vegas has previously hosted the NBA All-Star Game, and in 2022, it'll host the NFL Draft. But this is a whole other level for the gambling capital of the world, hosting the Super Bowl on February 11th, 2024, in the stadium in which the Raiders play. This game was actually supposed to be played in New Orleans, but there was a scheduling conflict, so a new venue was needed, and the league chose Las Vegas which is quite the sign of the times. Uh, John, symbolically, how huge is this for the societal acceptance of sports gambling to have Las Vegas hosting a Super Bowl?
0: I just have to salute NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. I mean, you know, a mini sniper like myself has been digging him on his anti-gambling claim since I got a hold of his sworn deposition in the New Jersey sports betting case that he answered in 2012. You know, question, what threats are there to the integrity of pro football in the United States? Goodell, gambling would be number one on my list. You know, and you're viewed as the legalization of sports gambling in Las Vegas undermine the public's confidence in the character of the games, the NFL games. Goodell, we would certainly take that position that we would rather have it not happen. Yeah. And so on. Guess what? Goodell and the NFL owners are laughing all the way to the bank and soon enough to the strip of Las Vegas for their biggest game of all. What a time to be alive, Eric.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I mean, so in terms of how it's going to be presented, I know it's still a couple years away, but uh, there are certainly ways to present a sterile, glamorous version of Las Vegas on TV. And I'm sure that the NFL and the broadcast network will go out of their way to make that presentation. You know, you'll you'll see the bright lights of the strip. Not the people down below walking the street with their shirts off, carrying giant daiquiri glasses. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll we'll see the stadium a lot. We're certainly not going to see the inside of any casinos, but um, you know, this is more than two years away. At the rate at which sports betting is being worked into broadcasts, it'll be interesting to see if they might flash. The game odds on the screen during the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, we're we're already there with so many broadcasts of games in various sports, but Super Bowl is kind of the the last line of defense in terms of a family friendly product. You know, uh, Janet Jackson's nipple twenty years ago aside. Um, so this will be telling whether sports betting is part of the conversation on the actual Super Bowl broadcast from Las Vegas in twenty twenty four.
0: Yeah. I think they can do it lightly, you know, a plus four, you know, appears on the screen, you know, the pregame they're saying, I, you know, I look, it goes back to Jimmy the Greek. I remember in the 1970s, you know, uh, let's see. I like the giants by seven over the Cowboys on Sunday. Well, everybody knows they're given six. So that tells you which way to go there. So I think they'll do that. And I I think, you know, so many, people don't gamble that if you're just you said they don't know what plus four is they don't care and then if somebody's saying I I I can't imagine the you know Steelers winning by fewer than a touchdown or whatever uh, the one touchdown you know that's that says something to a non-gambler too like well this guy really thinks Steelers are gonna you know do well in this game maybe even dominate and that's fine with them and then a better says oh okay you know I don't know why they would trust some some schmuck on tv but they probably (laughs) will so yeah I think they will work it in but I think they'll Be able to do it, uh, kind of diplomatically.
1: I would agree with that if if we were talking about this this upcoming Super Bowl. That that's kind of where we are now. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Two years from now, I mean, just to, yeah. just how much can change. I uh, I'm not saying that this is a favorite to happen, but I wouldn't rule out that the Super Bowl is that one of the sponsors is one of the sports books that one of the ones connected with the league. Let's say it's Caesars or something that yeah. you get the uh, on the screen at some point before right before kickoff. Uh, Caesars Caesars Sportsbook uh, Patriots minus three point five or something is on your TV screen during the Super Bowl. It wouldn't happen in 2022 by 2024 it could sign up now
0: free 500 bet <laughs> <Yep>. no risk
1: <laughs> yep that's uh, that's kind of where we are with certain things not with the super bowl yet but uh we're we're getting there it seems
0: it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling let's get to the gamble on interview
1: Even though the U.S. Bet's family of sites has been making editorial hires at a rapid rate lately, it's been a little while since we broke in a new hire on the podcast. But the first of several new hires our listeners will get to know joins us now, and he comes to us with a particular expertise in horse racing. He's a former writer for Bloodhorse and an Eclipse Award winner, and now he's taken over the weekly Get a Grip column at Sports Handle and covers Colorado, college football, and much more for us. He is Jeremy Balin. Jeremy, welcome to Gamble On
2: thanks so much for having me guys i'm uh, excited
1: so uh you co-wrote with matt Rybaltowski two weeks ago an excellent piece in the immediate aftermath of medina spirit's death sorry to immediately bring the conversation down but uh, (laughs) here we go um i'm not part of the horse racing community so i don't know what the conversation has been like within that world since then but at least in the mainstream the chatter seems to have very quickly faded the world has kind of moved on what do you see as the lasting impact of this tragedy if anything and um what's more damaging to the the betting business uh not knowing if horses are being pumped full of peds or having to wait this long after a major race for a winner to be declared
2: so you 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 talked about moving on and what's interesting is that moving on is a big part of any is big part of horse racing right next race boom next race boom you have a bad loss, you're moving on to the next race, moving on to a next track, moving on to next day, um, because there's racing every day. So it's a big part of the culture, right, to sort of move on to the next thing. And it's a big part of any horse racing news story. There's rarely a time where something will linger for too long. You know, whenever, whenever there's an episode of the Baffert saga just starting off, my phone sort of blows up with text messages from people in the industry and sort of on the periphery, essentially saying like, Oh, how is he going to survive this? How is, and he survives it because people move on to either uh, the next race, the next racing day or the next racing controversy, right? Which there are ample (laughs) examples of that. So he always survives it. And I don't see any reason why this wouldn't be it. I mean, when the Kentucky Derby winner goes down and, I mean, it's happened. doesn't happen very often. Um, you know, you would think that that would have some sort of lasting impact. There's just not a whole lot of evidence of that. Um, there's still things lingering and, they'll, and everything will get dredged up again on the next the next time something bad happens. But uh, as far as, you know, uh, sustaining a story or in the public consciousness, nah, forget it.
1: And, and what about just from the the, the betting public's perspective, that, that sort of question of the PED problem uh, sort of making them shy away from betting or this strange situation with the Kentucky Derby still not quite knowing who won the race? Do you see either of those limiting the betting in any way going forward?
2: I mean, I thought if there was any ever any uh, instance where you would think that the betting would be limited, it would have been after that the de- debacle on Friday of Breeders' Cup and guess what? Handle was up the next day for Saturday. So um, the thing about those issues that you, you bring up is that the betters aren't really considered in them. Um, so like drug testing, the better doesn't get a refund if they get beat by a horse who tests positive. Um, it, you know, wh- horse players have been dealing with trying to figure out if trainers are doing something with horses since the beginning of time. So it's something that th- that we're used to, and it doesn't make it right. But um, it's part of your daily calculations of, <laughs> of being a horse player. It's, it's sort of ridiculous to say that and to sort of if you put any ounce of thought into it, the ridiculousness of a statement like that is pretty apparent, but it's the reality,
0: right? Absolutely. I mean, that's what I hear from uh, horse players is uh, yeah it's uh, past performance and quality of the track, quality of the opposition. And can I figure out who's cheating? Because, you know, the the people who figure out who is cheating, they can win money. So they don't they don't mind that because they're 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 just trying to come out. Ahead, so but fortunately, uh, federal law has come along. The Horse Racing Safety and Integrity Act is going to save the day and solve every problem horse racing ever had, and it's going to go into effect in mid 2022, Uh, or possibly it's a complete waste of time and uh, just a bunch of uh, people in Washington D.C. wanting to feel good about themselves, and nothing will ever change. And there's some reaction uh, runs the gamut in between. So I'm curious, uh, your thoughts on is anything good going to happen out of this law, or is it just a waste of time, or?
2: I mean, the thing is supposed to be launching in July and just the idea of what they have in place right now, the the idea that that would actually happen is just just like blows your mind. Like I it's got to be some sort of skeleton crew at this point, because I think not long ago uh, they sort of just dropped that the that USADA wasn't going to be doing the drug testing and they're not going to be doing the drug enforcement. So like. So what what exactly is going to be going on? Um, What is it going to look like? There are some hints and there's some ideas, but I think what people most want to see is uniform rules for drug testing and enforcement. And if that's not part of the equation, at least early on, I mean, what exactly are we looking at with this? So I I just want to know what it's going to look like. Um, And I, I keep telling myself that it can't get worse than it's the current state of affairs. (laughs) But again, if you sort of think about it, i mean it, it, there's a possibility it could get worse <laughs> so
0: uh... how about the riding crop how about the riding crop thing i mean it was interesting in new jersey this is a classic almost example of the goat you know professional negotiations uh, the racing commission comes out and says uh, a year a year and a half ago guess what the uh, jockeys you're not going to be able to use you, you can't even carry a whip anymore and and it was like so shocking that uh, for the safety obviously because then if something's out of control you literally cannot stop the horse and it could result in human and and horse deaths so that was kind of preposterous. And so the pushback was very strong, even among people who were uh, good for some amendments. So then I said, OK, well, you can have it, but you can only do it a very limited amount. And I was sort of like, well, that's something. It's better than not having it at all. So you, know, you start out with an extreme and then you, it looks like you're compromising
1: when in theory or not so
0: th- well, i'm curious about whether that doesn't seem that complicated to work out i mean people talk about the kentucky rule is maybe a, a good uh, moderate step there can't everybody just agree to that and then you finally have 50 states where you know exactly what a jockey can and can't do instead of the way we have it now
2: right and that gets back to uniformity it j- it's just the, the 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 riding crop thing riding i look i'm saying riding crop the whip yeah. um it it it, it it's so, I've, I've always said that I'm sort of agnostic about it. Like, I just don't care. Like, it doesn't matter to me whether they have a riding crop or not. The, the thing that, that I always bring up is that it just, if you're really concerned with horse welfare in the industry of horse racing, riding crop should be very far down on your list, right? It, it does not have that big of it. It's a perception thing. Sure. Does the riding crop, if you hit it a certain way at a certain strength, does it, quote unquote, hurt the horse? Yes. But people who are actually concerned with horse welfare can think of a thousand different things you can do to ensure that horses are cared for better than worrying about this 60 seconds to two minute slice of time during a race when they're getting hit with with a whip.
1: All right, shifting uh, subjects uh, away from horse racing and toward the primary thing that, that we cover here, uh, sports betting, um, one fun addition to the U.S. Bet site has been your Ask a Bookmaker column with Johnny Avello, which runs every Wednesday. What is the most surprising or revealing thing that Johnny has told you so far in these first four weeks of talking to him?
2: I, I would say the the what I always wondered, and, and this... this Uh, feature has sort of been something that I've wanted to do for a little while just because I have questions too Um, but I've always wondered because lines will look weird to me sometimes right they look off and I always worked on the assumption that you know the bookmakers know more than I do or they're picking a side or they're taking a stand and trying to like get action into certain parts because they might know better than I do and he sort of he sort of dispelled that notion of that gut feeling or that maybe inside information feeling uh, that they, that 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 they set a line that they think is right. And gut maybe might play in a half a point to a point, but it's not swinging things drastically. It's not and it's not based on a handicapping opinion. It's based on how they think action will go. Uh, One of the the best quotes he gave me was, you know, if he if he gets into handicapping a game, then he's just another sports better. He's not a bookmaker. Right. So that was that was sort of the most the the biggest impression. But, um, you know, I was also interested to learn about just how much line moves cut into their bottom line. Right. He's I mean, he really does not want to move lines at all because he says that that immediately opens you up to losing hold. And um, you, you sort of see things move around and you don't really think about that. But the, the fact that if he could just keep a line at where where it is the whole week for a football game or as long as he can. It's just that, that was interesting to me.
1: Yeah. And it, as I was reading that one, which is the one that, that ran this week where he was talking about that, I was thinking of the Tuesday night game between the Eagles and Washington, where um, I had charted the line moves a little bit. Cause that the date moved the line move back and forth and it started at Eagles three, three and a half went as high as 12. So there was a huge middling opportunity came back down to six and a half. So there was another middling opportunity. (laughs) uh, And then I think ended up around eight and a half or something. But if you had kind of middled it twice, you win all three of your bets when it landed on 10 sort of a, a weird situation where if the public happened to know where that was going, they could have beaten beaten the books at several different spots there but so i I can see what johnny's talking about that that's kind of a potential disaster for them when on those rare occasions where that happens
2: but but he's even talking about one point Mm. like i mean this is a extreme example right so if you're he that really makes him uneasy because you're talking about big windows now instead of like really tiny ones so right
0: well, I got to tell you, this Johnny got uh, 10 points last night. So I got a push. I was shopping <laughs> around right before the game. And I've kind of wised up this year on that, that uh, yes, it does matter nine and a half or 10 and, you know, I, I don't know if I would have taken a nine and a half. I was like, I want, I'm, well, obviously I want 10 and a half, but I said, I can live with 10 and sure enough, I survived it. So I'm glad I did that, but <laughs> uh, getting to another thing. You know, Jeremy, you're breaking some stereotypes uh, out there by being interested in horse racing and you're under oh, 60 or so. Um, but uh, I'm curious. i like to ask uh, some of our guests this question. If I heard you're at the casino and I'm looking around the casino floor, am I going to find you at the blackjack table or a uh, poker table, or maybe slot machine, or maybe you're sitting at a slot machine, uh, a seat, but you're actually on your phone betting on Ukrainian table tennis, uh, or, or maybe you're betting on a simulcast horse race. Uh, what what's the most likely spot I'm going to find you?
2: Um, it's definitely not poker, and it's definitely not slots. I I always feel like poker, I'm going to get taken. Yeah. Like I'm not good enough as these people out there, and I'm just going to lose. Um, actually, the last time I was in Vegas, those like um uh, sort of ha- hybrid live. Uh, blackjack games where there's a bunch of people like that was really fun to sort of get drinks and be involved and not put, not put down a bunch of money. But if it's after race book time during the, you know, I hang out in the race book while my friends are at the pool sort of grumbling about how I'm a degenerate. And if, if it's, if it's after, uh, if it's after that time, I'll probably at a blackjack table, uh, if I don't get dragged to some club by my friends. So
0: right. are you uh, particularly good
2: at it or, uh, you're, you're holding your own more or less? Or... I'm good at when I turn a profit, leaving the table. Uh, so like, as soon good. as I get to like a go. certain, certain amount, I'm out. Like good. I'm not hanging around at a table for, you know, two or three hours. But, um, as far as like the, the trend of, or the horse racing thing about, mm-hmm. you know, me being under the age of 40. And, <laughs> and, and, I think he
0: said 60. Like, actually, I-, I did yeah. say 60, 60, which is how yeah. old I am, by the way. Yes. <laughs> but like
2: When I first started covering racing in like 2015, people would all, all the older guys, the people around the game and be like, they would ask, well, what got you into horse racing? But what they really meant was, why would you be involved with horse racing? Because they're pessimistic about sort of the future as well. But, Um, you know, like so many other people who are into racing, I think it's a lineage, uh, thing. I'm the son of a horse player who's the son of a horse player. And, um, that's one of the ways I can connect with my dad who is alive. Um, and with my grandfather who died, you know, 20 years ago, uh, that's that thread that binds us as, as a family. Um, and I wrote about it a a few years ago, um, when I was at my previous job, but it's also a game that you can't sort of get into without a shepherd, right? It's, it's so much easier to understand and process with somebody holding your hand through handicapping a horse race. Um, and, and so often that is your dad, your uncle, a close family member, somebody like that. So it's not an uncommon story. Uh, A lot of people who have hung around racetracks who are my age were. Grew up there
1: interesting why well, I, I started uh covering boxing at age 22 and got a lot of the same sort of <laughs> weird, weird glances and questions of uh what are you what are you doing in this sport at this age but you know, of, of all the things that you said there jeremy i think the thing most revealing the, in terms of your age was when you mentioned uh, going to a club as a possibility that's uh, <laughs> that's that's something that hasn't been on my radar for about 10 or 15 years and i guess probably longer than that for john yeah that's <laughs> not so
2: not so much with with two young kids now, but right. I think uh, we get when my wife and I went uh, to visit my aunt in Vegas and we got uh, we got to escape for a night. We put the kids to bed. We gave we handed handed the monitor or the baby monitor off and, and went. So that was pretty that was pretty nice.
1: Well, I hope you didn't uh, go to a club and pay $1,000 for a bottle of vodka just to get your own little <laughs> private table. Or... I'm, I'm, I'm glad I was out of the game before that really uh, developed. That's
2: the one with the fireworks off the top, right? Bring uh, it.
1: Sure. And, uh, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been fun. Great talking to you, Jeremy. i uh, let our listeners know they can follow you uh, at your name on Twitter, uh, Jeremy Balin, Balan, B-A-L-A-N. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast.
2: Thanks for having me. Glad to do it.
1: All right. Thanks, Jeremy.
2: Two men.
1: $10,000.
0: Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in
1: on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to the fast five shortly, but first let's update our betting bankroll. And we went two and two on the week. We each went one and one, but thanks to you, John, making one bigger than usual bet and that being one of our winners, we did come out slightly ahead. Uh, your big bet was on Western Kentucky plus three in the roofclaim.com Boca Raton Bowl, and uh, they won outright by 21 points. Uh, so, your bet of $165 earned us a $150 profit. Uh, your other bet was on Toledo minus 10 in the Bahamas Bowl, and they lost outright by seven. Uh, you risked $115 on that. On my side of the ledger, my NFL over under streak ended and it wasn't close. I had over 46 and a half in the Bucks saints game and a grand total of nine points were scored in that barn burner. Uh, So that cost us $105, but I made $80 back with a winning boxing bet on the Parker Chisora heavyweight fight to go the distance. There were knockdowns, but no knockout. So in total, I lost $25, John won $35, and we finished with a $10 win for the week, uh, the second time in three weeks that we won exactly $10. Uh, That means we are now down by $1,554, we still have $1,360 on hold in futures bets, and we have $7,086 available to bet with this week, and you are up first, John. Well,
0: with next week off, I'm going to skip the silly balls and go right to the college football playoff games on New Year's Eve. How about that? All right. Uh, First, give me Alabama minus 13 and a half points, 165 to win 150 against Cincinnati. Uh, The extra time for Nick Saban before a bowl game like this allows for his 100 or so assistant coaches for the Crimson Tide to have dissected every play the Bearcats have ever run this season and beyond. And that extra time also allows Cincinnati to realize the gravity of the uh, stage they're on. And I don't think it's going to go well for them.
1: All right. And I don't know your second bet yet, but based on that amount, uh, it looks like you're continuing with the strategy of avoid, avoid the $10 up or down week and uh, go a little bigger on one of them. I like it, Um, which
0: which we were unable to avoid anyway.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. right. Um, So I'm doing something a little different this week. Um, As we saw last week uh, with the unpredictability of how COVID might affect any given NFL team. I think there's value in taking money line on, underdogs and reaping the benefits if a game goes a little topsy-turvy. But the move here, I think, is to give myself a lot of opportunity at low risk rather than just try to nail one or two upset picks, take a bunch of shots because you don't know which game is going to have a big favorite suddenly shorthanded. So I've identified seven money line underdogs that I think have potential value. We'll bet $25 a piece on them. Uh, I price shopped for the best possible return. So here's what we have. Uh, Tonight, uh, not that COVID can affect this one too much at this point, but the Titans plus 160 at home against the 49ers. We bet $25 to return $65. Uh, A a big one here, Panthers home against the Bucks at plus 425. $25 returns $131. Um, You know, not likely to win, but with the Bucks short some weapons, you never know. I like the price. Another big one giants at eagles the giants are depleted but hey the eagles can lose to anyone they just blew it against these giants a few weeks ago it's plus 385 so 25 dollars returns 121 dollars uh, the red hot lions are plus 220 at the falcons uh 25 returns 80 there Bears plus 250 at Seahawks. Uh, Neither team should be motivated, so worth the shot. $25 returns 88. Uh, Steelers plus 300 at Chiefs. I assume that Kelsey and Hill will be out of COVID protocols by Sunday, but maybe not. And, uh, And if not, this is a great price, I think. $25 returns 100. And lastly, the Dolphins are plus 150 at the Saints. I like that price without the COVID uncertainty. Let's see what COVID does. $25 to return 63. So basically... If we go two for seven, you know, we hit one bigger one and one smaller one. We're about break even. If we go three for seven or four for seven, it's a nice profit. Fun sweats either way. And uh, because I just placed seven bets for a total of $175, I will skip my second bet this week. And also there's no noteworthy boxing to bet on. Uh, So I hand it back to you, John, for uh, what is our final bankroll bet of the week.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, the the COVID is so unpredictable. You're kind of taking advantage of that. And uh, I, I like it. I think we might be able to make a little money there. Right. Um, so in the New Year's Eve nightcap, uh, give me Michigan plus seven and a half points versus Georgia, 110 to win 100, as you, as you suspected. <laughs> right. uh, the Wolverines running game and defense are as good as any in the country. You know, taking an overline or whatever the punt total is could be the better bet to here because points are going to be at a premium all day. So I get more than a touchdown. I think Michigan, they could actually win this game, but more likely they lose a a tight one.
1: All right. And we finished the show with the Fast Five, where I hope our listeners last week backed Brennan and faded Raskin because it was the most typical 2021 Fast Five run out yet. John went four and one to raise his record to a very strong 40, 34, and one. I went one and four to sink to a pathetic 27 and 48. And, um, you know, most weeks this season, I've lamented my crappy results without complaining about getting unlucky. You know, I've commented a few times on being cursed, uh, but I've also mostly admitted that I am not doing a good job making these picks. I'm I'm way off. Um, Well, I'm going to drill down a little bit on last week because that was some pretty absurd bad luck I ran into. Um, First, I had one win. I had Detroit plus 13, and they won by 18 over the Cardinals, so I covered by 31 points, a pat on the back for me, Um, although I picked them because I thought they would lose by 10 or 11. It wasn't some genius call (laughs) where I saw a Lions outright win coming. So anyway, one very good pick and one very bad pick. I will take full blame on this. I'm a donkey. Uh, I took the Jags because of the Urban Meyer narrative. I'm a square. I'm a donkey. That was terrible. John, your stone-cold lock of the week was correct. I made a 180-degree incorrect read. So, okay, one and one. As for the other three. (laughs) I took the Browns plus one and a half. And as soon as I made the pick case, Keenum got COVID and I got Nick Mullins instead. Then they delayed the game to tease me. Maybe I'll get Keenum or or Mayfield. Nope. It's still Mullins. And then the Browns still took the lead with under four minutes to play and lost by two on a field goal. As time expired, I had plus one and a half. They lost by two. Um, I had the Packers minus five and a half against the Ravens and they're up 14 with five minutes to go only to tighten up and blow the cover. And of course, The Ravens went for two at the end and didn't get it when they could have either tied it or taken the lead. And either scenario presents a chance for the Packers to still win by six. The one scenario that doesn't is going for two and not converting. Uh, And lastly, maybe the most brutal loss of all, I specifically picked the Seahawks plus four and a half because the Rams were decimated by COVID. And then the league postpones the game to Tuesday. So the Rams can get a few (laughs) key players back. And even so, The Seahawks had a perfectly reasonable chance to cover there. They were down seven with three and a half minutes left, fourth down midfield, blatant pass interference on the Rams that goes uncalled, just not even close. The defender never turned around and ran into the receiver. Somehow no flag and I lose. So uh, I got one game very right, one game very wrong. And the other three games just prove there is nothing I could do this season. I live under a fast five black cloud. I am not meant to win. Maybe it's a miracle that I'm 27 and 48 and not 0 and 75. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right, I'm done. Uh, thanks for, uh, for listening and indulging me to both you, John, and to the listeners. I, I needed to let that out. Um, but, uh, John, you are up first this week. I know I just chewed up a lot of time commenting on my results from last week, so feel free to comment on yours and then reveal your Week 16 picks.
0: Well, yeah, mainly I'm just happy to shake off my first two-week slump of the season, which was a a combined three and seven. So I'm kind of hopefully back in action, but I'm not quite there yet. You know, I need five and 10 to finish over 500. That would be something. Seven Mm -hmm. and eight to bruise a net profit for my my mythical shadow betters. That would be something. But um, like I said, I'm not there yet. You know, one more of my popular three and two weeks, though, would get me close at least. So uh, now I wonder if they would allow this in the Superbook contest. I just thought about it because I have a nice lead here on you, Uh, but maybe not. My magic number to clinch another Gamble on betting crown is two, so if I pick both teams in a pair of games, I have to go two and two. That's <laughs> over, right?
1: right?
0: But, but as poet laureate Meatloaf once crooned, "No, I won't do that." <laughs> <laughs> so, so instead, here are my picks. And yes, if you choose two of the same, well, yeah, you get the same right. result. So.
1: I, I don't think you need to sweat me catching you. I think I think make your five <laughs> best picks and don't worry about me.
0: Yeah, well, I want to I want to uh, get it over with as soon as possible. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Christmas Day Packers minus seven and a half versus Browns. Uh, very short week for the Browns, who have spunk but not a lot of juice left. And meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers turned heel, maybe the best Aaron Rodgers of all. Uh, also, Christmas Day Cardinals minus one versus Colts. Uh, the Joe's presumably are all over the Colts, the latest uh, darling for them, but Arizona can stop the run. And if you do, that leaves the Colts with Carson Wentz row. So (laughs) it's a weird trend of the latest darling of betters always seeming to lay an egg, but that's going to be the Colts this time. And then uh, the typical schedule here. Patriots minus two and a half first Bills. Uh, Throw out that Pats went over the Bills in a wind tunnel a couple weeks ago and their wacky loss to the Colts. Uh, And you're back to a solid team against a for some reason underachieving Bills squad. Something's rotten in the city of Orchard Park there and I don't know what it is. Um, Seahawks minus six and a half over Bears. Saddle may have finished its five stages of grief, I think. And maybe this is a Russell Wilson nostalgia tour. You know, I look for team mutinies too at this time of year and I think a slow start by Chicago might just reveal one on the sidelines here. Mm -hmm. And then finally Dolphins plus three versus Saints. Love the line. Look, the Saints have figured out some sort of voodoo versus Tom Brady to their credit. Otherwise, they're not that good. And all the Dolphins do is win a caveat by far my worst team that I'm picking for and against this year is the Saints. I'm two and six, so don't get too excited about that pick.
1: And also don't get too excited about that pick because uh spoiler, that's the one we have in common. Uh, <laughs> the, the other, the other four, uh, I'm on totally different games than you, but uh, <laughs> you, you will take one step toward clinching with that Miami. I'll get to that last uh, first. I'll start with the Thursday game. Um, I think that recency bias is skewing the line. The Niners uh, are a little overvalued off a wide win. The Titans are a little undervalued coming off a loss. I'm surprised the Titans are getting three at home. So give me the home dog with the points in a game I think could go either way. Uh, Next. I'm done trusting the Chargers, uh, and they might be without Austin Eckler this week. Uh, They're a talented team. They'll probably still make the playoffs, I think, but they're one of those good teams that finds ways to come up a little short. Young quarterback, young coach, not quite all the way there yet, so I think 10 points on the road is just too many to give with a team as unreliable as the Chargers. Give me the Texans, plus 10. Um, One of the more surprising lines of the week to me is the Rams, only favored by three in Minnesota. I know the Vikings always make games close, and and that's why I've picked them a few times this season. But I think the talent gap here, especially as the Rams get more guys back off the COVID list, I would have thought it would be Rams by four, four or and a half. There's a little value here. Give me the Rams minus three. Um, as I noted earlier, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey might be back for the Chiefs game this weekend. But even if they are, I like the Steelers getting seven and a half there. Pittsburgh's defense keeps them in games. Tomlin and big Ben aren't giving up on making the playoffs or, or at least avoiding that under 500 season that they've never had together. Amazing 14 seasons and counting at 500 or better. So they're not going down without a fight here. I like the Steelers to cover, although I definitely liked it better at the opening number of nine and a half, but oh, well, uh, still like it at seven and a half. And lastly, give me the dolphins getting three in new Orleans In their current conditions, I think these are evenly matched teams. I don't think home field is worth three points. The Dolphins they have to be one of the worst teams ever to win six games in a row. Um, <laughs> but I think they can make it seven against Taysom Hill and the Saints or at least cover the three. And uh, And there you have it, this week's fade Raskin picks, uh, guaranteed to go one and four, but if there's a, a, a game that's likely to be that one, I guess it's the one you're on, John. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. And uh, in fact, as John mentioned earlier, for this year of Gamble On, as I am on vacation next week, so by extension, we are on vacation next week uh john and i will make public our fast five picks on twitter you can find my tweets at eric raskin and john's at bergen brennan and be sure to follow us bets at us underscore bets go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling And subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. Uh, Thanks to everybody for listening all year long. And thanks again to our guest this week, Jeremy Balin. And with that, John, for the final time in 2021, please take us out.
0: And on the 52nd week, we rested. Or at least that's what we'd say (laughs) if we had a podcast next week. So uh, I want to look back. uh, At one point I've been making since 2018, and another that sadly I wasn't making until earlier this year uh the age old point is on parlays here's my thought if you're a sports fan i used to spend 20 to 50 bucks a week let's say on lottery tickets then you know you lose money every single year or maybe all but one so if you'd rather blow that discretionary money on a parlay bet where you actually choose the teams and you feel like you have you know, more than a passive interest, I say, go for it, recognizing what you're up against. But to use my New Jersey numbers as an example, so far in 2021, sportsbooks are 3.4% ahead on basketball bets, 4.1% ahead on football, 4.2% ahead on baseball. Parlays, a tidy, wait for it, 18.3% hold. Wow. That is something to think about, everybody. Now, my newer awakening early this year was on line shopping. Sure, if you make one bet a month, it's unlikely that a half point or a point are going to impact your bet. But if you make even a few bets per week, then every month you can grow your winnings or cut your losses just by a little bit of extra effort. You know, I noted uh, earlier on the Washington-Philly game, I shopped and found a plus 10 for football team and escaped with a push. Now, a complete chump only got nine and a half points and a true sharp shopped so many books, some somewhere they found 10 and a half points and they cashed. So it's worth a little bit of extra effort because uh, I think we're all competitive in our own way and uh you know we like to win even if it's not going to be uh life-changing uh, we like to win yeah. and with that for the last time in 2021 phil helmuth and i say gamble on